to Glory to Glory, the radio teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Join with us now as Pastor Joe Pettick teaches from the book of Revelation, chapter 11. If you can please turn with me to Revelation chapter 11, we are picking up in verse 1, Revelation 11, 1. I heard a story the other day about a a man named Frank, and he had a golden retriever. And one day his golden retriever came home, and he had a a rabbit in his mouth. And he noticed the rabbit was dead, but he also noticed that the rabbit was the next-door neighbor's pet. So Frank kind of panicked. He didn't know what to do, so he took the rabbit and went to the sink, and he started washing the rabbit up and washing the blood off the rabbit and the saliva and everything, and he put soap on it. Then he took out the blow dryer, and he used the blow dryer on it, fluffed it all up, and made it look really nice. And he waited for nighttime, and when it was dark, and he kind of climbed over the fence, and he went to the the pen, the rabbit pen, and he opened it up, and he stuck the rabbit in the hutch, you know, and put it back there, and he closed it, and he snuck over the fence again, and went home, and he thought everything was fine. Well, the next morning, he gets a loud pound on his door, and it's his next-door neighbor, and his next-door neighbor had his dead rabbit in his hand. He says, he goes, Frank, he goes, we have a real sicko in our neighborhood. He said, my rabbit died three days ago, and I buried it in the backyard. <laughs> and some sicky dug it up and put it in my pen. I love that story. <laughs> I believe, as believers, sometimes we can you know, rely on self too much. We can rely on our abilities and our wisdom, and we can rely on ourselves to fix things and to you know, depend too much on our strength and our power, when the reality is we have, as believers, the power of the Most High living inside of us, and He's the one that can fix everything. And I believe it's a challenge for believers just to stay in that place, to allow God's Holy Spirit to rule and reign in our lives, to deny self, to die to self, to die to the ways of this world, to die to sin, to walk away from the things that can so easily ensnare us, and to look to him, Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, and allow him to give us the power that we need. Amen? He gives us divine power. And I hope and pray that as believers, we we depend more and more on the power of the Holy Spirit and not so much on the arm of the flesh or the ways of the world or the counsel of the wicked. But we rely on him and his spirit. So with that being said, let's let's take a look at our, it's one of the things we're going to look at, the divine power, God's power working. And we're definitely going to see that in our text here. So let's take a look. Revelation 1, we'll be looking at, excuse me, 11, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 14. In verse 1, it says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. So the angel's talking to John the apostle, and he says, But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, 
and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street, the great city, which is spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allowed their dead bodies to be put into, into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwelled on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, check this out, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven into a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. What a text. John the Apostle, as we've been looking at, has been exiled to an island called Patmos. He was exiled there, it says, because of the word of God, because of his testimony of Jesus. He was exiled there because of the fact that he was a strong, powerful witness of Jesus Christ. We're told, history tells us, the, the Bible doesn't say this, but history tells us that the government, the Roman government that was ruling at the time, they, they wanted to kill him. So they put the Apostle John in a, a vat of boiling oil to try to kill him. But guess what? He didn't die. So because they weren't able to kill him, they wanted him to be in prison. But I think they were worried that he would probably save all the prisoners. He would, you know, share with everyone. He would share with everybody. So they exiled him in isolation. They put him on the island Patmos. That's about 25 miles uh, off the, the coast of Turkey. It's a, a, a Greek island today. So as he's out there, he has visions, and he, the Lord meets with him, and Jesus speaks with him, and he sees the glorified state of Jesus Christ like we, we don't see in any other book. Thus, the title, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the, the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. And he was given letters to write to the seven churches, and he's writing the letters. He's, is, is Jesus is telling him what to write to all the churches, and we, we read the, the seven letters. And now he's given visions of things that are going to happen into the future, things that are going to happen at the end times, and he's given visions of things that will take place. And what we've been looking at, the visions are the things that are going to take place before Jesus Christ comes back to be king. 
And we've been looking at the the different plagues that are hitting the earth and different things that are happening all over the world and devastation, people killing each other and wars and famines and, and the world is just out of control. Does it seem like the world's kind of out of control right now? There's people that think that we're living in the time of tribulation right now. Things are getting so crazy. The other day we... You know, we were reading about, you know, the earthquake and that took place in Italy and then there's another thing that happened. And, and it's getting to a point when we're reading, we're like, I say, well, how many people died? It's like, oh, only three people died. It's like, almost like I'm becoming numb to all these people that are dying all over the world. And the frequency of, of devastation is, 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 is getting closer and closer. Just as Jesus said, it's like, it's like birth pangs, like a woman in, 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 that's pregnant. And the, as the birth pangs get closer and closer and closer... We're seeing these things taking place, earthquakes and problems and wars and rumors of wars. They're, they're getting closer and closer and closer and floods. But now we're introduced to something that's going to happen during the tribulation period that we didn't see before. And we're introduced, if you looked at verse 1, it talks about a temple that's going to be built. Can you look back with me at verse 1, please? It says, and John the Apostle is told he was given a reed to measure. The angel stood there and says, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. So don't lose the picture. He's getting these visions, but it's almost as if he's, he's inside of these visions. Like he's caught up. I see it as he's caught up into the future. So he's even brought like kind of like, like time travel or something. He's just like travels into time. So he's in this time before Jesus Christ comes back and he sees the temple. This is a Jewish temple in Jerusalem that's going to be built. So we know for a fact that there's going to be a new temple built. Did you guys know that? So a temple is going to be built, but if you see the picture, the, 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 the angel's telling John, I want you to take this thing and I want you to measure, and he's given some kind of a measuring device and to, to bring the measurements to see you know, exactly how big the temple is and how big the altar is, and then even the people are there. So we get a picture, we realize the temple's going to be an operation because there's going to be people worshiping there. So it's not just going to be a temple that's just sitting there. It's going to be an operation. There's going to be the Jewish people are going to go back. They're going to have the temple. The, the Antichrist is going to, in Daniel, it tells us, the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel. He's going to make a, an agreement with Israel and the Islamic world. And there's going to be like a seven-year peace agreement. And I believe part of the peace agreement is going to be for, for the Jewish people, to the leadership uh, there in Israel, to, to join this, this covenant. They're going to be told, we're going to build you a temple. And I believe that might just be a game changer, that a temple is going to be built there in, in, in Israel. So, so don't, don't, don't lose me here. The next verse here, verse 2, it says, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. What does this mean? As most of you know, there on the Temple Mount, there's a mosque there. It's called the Dome of the Rock, right? We all know that. And that poses a problem because where are you going to put the temple, the Jewish temple? If the, the, the Dome of the Rock is there, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? Uh, I don't know if you know it. So here's the, a picture of the Dome of the Rock. Most of you have seen pictures of it before. But did you know that the Jewish scholars believe that the Holy of Holies of, of Solomon's temple and Herod's temple, it, it wasn't where this Dome of the Rock is sitting. It's, it, it's not there. So if you really do the study, which they've done, they realize that the Holy of Holies wasn't where the Dome of the Rock is at. So the temple cannot be built where that place is anyhow. So some believe, many scholars believe, it's where the Dome of the Spirits is. There's this little, looks, looks like a, I don't know, like a gazebo looking thing there. When we were in Israel, we got to see this. And it's, 
So they believe right here, that's about 322 feet north of the Dome of the Rock. And that's where they believe the Holy of Holies was at the, at the original temple, at the, you know, Herod's temple and Solomon's temple. So you say, well, so, so what does that mean? Well, they believe that they could probably put, most likely right next to the Dome of the Rock, they could put the new Jewish temple right alongside of it. And that could very possibly explain why it says, but leave out the court outside of the temple and do not measure it, for it is given to the Gentiles. Is that fascinating? Did you know that the Temple Institute, when you go out there and you do a tour in Israel, there's a place called the Temple Institute there in the old city, Jerusalem. And, and what they do, they primarily, they're gathering all the, the instruments that are necessary for sacrifices, the pans and the shovels and all that. They also have all the garments set up for all the priests. All the priests, did you know, you know the, they've trained all the priests. The priests are all ready to go and they're just, you know, they're just waiting. One thing they're waiting for is this right here, the temple to be built. And I heard some experts say they could probably build the temple in like six months. That's a lot of work, amen? (laughs) But this is fascinating. So that's going to happen in the future, but we know what's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period, Satan himself is going to be, he's the one, the Antichrist, excuse me, the Antichrist is going to be the one that's going to implement this, bring this all together, but six months into the, you know, excuse me, three and a half years into this, he's going to step into the temple of God, he's going to step into the holy place and he's going to declare himself to be God. And as you know, it tells us that, you know, the Jewish people are told in Matthew 24, it says, flee to the mountains. And so the Jewish people are going to run and then the the Antichrist, he's going to just create havoc. And that's the 42 months, the three and a half years. He's going to tread, they're going to tread the holy city and he's going to just, you know, just spew out his wrath on the Jewish people, but God's going to protect them. Fascinating. Well, let's go to the next verse. Let's go to the verse three. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed with sackcloth. During the tribulation period, this three and a half years, the two, excuse me, the 1,260 days, approximately three and a half years, there's going to be two men that are going to be on the earth that are going to be empowered by God. They're the witnesses, powerful witnesses of Jesus Christ, pointing people to the Lord. The world is going to be so dark. God is going to send these two mighty, powerful witnesses. People wonder, well, who could this be? Who are these two witnesses? You know, there's debates that go on. You know, who are the two witnesses? We don't really know. Malachi tells us that Elijah will probably be one of them. It looks like Elijah will be one of them. So some believe it's Moses and Elijah. Remember, they were there at the Mount of Transfiguration. So most likely, I believe it's probably Moses and Elijah. I used to think it was Enoch and Elijah because Enoch was raptured. And, you know, it's only uh, counted once for man to die. And then, the, you know, then the judgment. But it's just, a, it's not, it's, it doesn't mean that has to be that way. So I, I kind of put that aside. I think it's Moses and Elijah. But these guys, don't miss this. As we talk about divine power, they're going to have so much power. They're going to walk the earth. And when people, you know, disagree, they, they, they try to kill them and try to, you know, whatever, lock them up or beat them up or whatever, it says fire is going to go out of their mouth. And they're going to just, they're going to destroy them. Talk about being on fire for the Lord. <laughs> this has gone to another degree. Amen. Literally, they're going to be barbecued. It's just uh, some kind of, you know, they, they try to say, well, maybe it's not real fire that comes out of the mouth. I believe, I, I take it literally. I think they're just, they're going to get blasted. 
Maybe it's the fire of God's word that's gonna knock them down, they're gonna fall to the ground, I don't know. But these guys are gonna be amazing. And they're gonna walk the earth for three and a half years. They're gonna be mostly, it, it appears they're gonna be in Israel, in Jerusalem, witnessing to the, the Jewish people. We have, some people think that they're gonna be there the first three and a half years. Some people say maybe the second three and a half years. Well, I believe it's the first three and a half years and I'll show you in Malachi why, why I think that. But I believe possibly these two witnesses were the ones that shared with the 144,000. And the 144,000 we've already looked at. So I believe they're gonna come at the beginning of this period. But check it out. They're gonna be probably the most powerful witnesses that this world has ever seen. Obviously, you know, even John the Baptist, he came in the spirit of Elijah, right? But did we read that he had fire that came out of his mouth and he blasted people and they died? No. They're gonna be so powerful that nobody, nobody, don't miss this, they're gonna be so powerful, nobody's gonna be able to stop them until their mission's done. Did you get that in the story? And once their mission is done, the beast that comes out of the pit is gonna have war against them and kill them. But you notice it's once their mission is done, once they're, they're done, once God's through with them and says, okay, your time's done, no one can stop you until that time, then the Antichrist, the beast that comes out of the, the bottomless pit, he's gonna destroy them, he's gonna kill them, and then it's gonna be a big party. And you notice they're gonna let them in the streets for three and a half, excuse me, three and a half days. They're gonna, they're gonna leave their bodies there. I think it's like a trophy. They're gonna say, look at what we did. And I believe the Antichrist is going to say, you know, if you come against me, that's what's going to happen to you. And I'm all powerful. And the, if God's so powerful, why did he let these guys die? And there's just going to be this. And then it says, you notice that every tribe and tongue and nation sees this. Do you know that couldn't happen 25 years ago? It can happen today, right? CNN, Fox News, all this just reporting from down in Jerusalem. You know, everyone can see what's going on. And, and they're going to be displayed for everybody to see. They're dead bodies. And listen, the world is going to be so evil that they're going, to, they're going to see this as such a good thing. It's going to be like their new Christmas. Did you get that in the story? They're going to send presents to one another. They're going to like, this is a day to celebrate. They're going to send gifts to one another. But what happens after the three and a half days? The breath of God. God breathes into them life. They stand up on their feet and everyone's like, uh-oh. <laughs> and God says, come up here. And they're caught up. They're raptured up into heaven. And then it tells us because of that, the people were afraid. They're like, oh no. Earthquake hits within the hour. 7,000 people are wiped out there in Jerusalem. And did you notice the last part of that? It says, the rest worshiped the God of heaven. The rest glorified God. Is that fascinating? And the rest in verse 13 were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. That means when that happens, when the earthquake hits, 7,000 people die, they realize these witnesses were from God and they're just going to fall on their knees and they're going to start worshiping the God of heaven. And there's going to be another great revival here on the earth. Amazing stuff. The reason why, here's Malachi. The reason why they believe Malachi, excuse me, Elijah is going to be one of the prophets because Malachi 4, 5, if you're a note taker, says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, I believe the great and dreadful day of the Lord is talking about the, the great tribulation period, the last three and a half years. So Elijah's gonna come, so he'll be one of the two witnesses, I believe, that's gonna be there. That's fascinating. I'll tell you, as fascinating as it is, I am so happy I'm not gonna be on this earth. We're not gonna be here. The good part about the book of Revelation, all this stuff we're reading about, the time of tribulation is we're not gonna be here. We get, we get to just read about it. And we can say, amen. Every time I read this stuff, I'm like, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're not going to be here. 
But I want to go back to verse 3 if you can. And just, I want to pull out where it says, I will give power to my two witnesses. In verse 6, as we looked at, it says they had power over the, to shut up heaven. They had power over the waters. And these guys have great power, divine power, again, like the world has never seen. But I'd like to use this to remind us this morning as believers that God has given us divine power also. Maybe when we talk and people come against us, we're not going to, wouldn't that be something if we had that kind of power? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just blast someone with fire? Wow. We don't have that kind of power. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And I love pondering that. The same Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of us. I believe if we could take hold of the reality, the reality of that verse, and I'll put it up on the screen for you to look at, but if we can take hold of the reality of Romans 8, verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. If we could take hold of that, I believe that our life would be so much richer spiritually. Things are happening in your life. You don't know how it's going to turn out and what, what's going to happen and what, the, what if this turn of events take place and what if this happens and what if, what if this takes place and what if that... Wait a second. Who lives inside of you? God, by his Holy Spirit. He gives you power. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fret. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. He gives us great power. The power of his Holy Spirit, the power of God from on high, his spirit is dwelling inside of us as believers. We don't serve a wimpy God. We serve an all-powerful, all-knowing God, and he lives inside of us. Friday night, one of the pastors, he was at the Harvest Crusade, and he was counseling down in the field, and I, I received a text. Apparently, he was counseling with someone, and he asked a question. He says, he says, What's, you know, do you know a good scripture regarding getting rid of evil spirits in a home? He says, that's not one of the ones I've got in my back pocket. He says, can you help me out, basically, you know, and he's texting me. And I said, sure. And I just, the first thing that came to mind was 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you're truly a born-again believer and you think there's an evil spirit in your house, guess what? You can just walk into your house and say, um, get out in the name of Jesus. That's that simple. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. It, it's that simple, truly. We, we have no power. We over Satan and his demonic realm apart from God. But with God, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And sometimes people are overly afraid of evil and, you know, Warfare and all this. Yeah, warfare is real, but guess what? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have overcome. We're children of God. We have great power in the name of Jesus and because we're his children and he lives in us. Did you ever notice evil spelled backwards is live? Evil spelled backwards is live, L-I-V-E. And I believe that's what evil wants to do. The evil wants to keep you and I from living the abundant life that God has for every one of us. Evil wants to, you know, he wants us to, the, the evil in this world wants to keep us from living an abundant life. The, the abundance of God's Holy Spirit working in us. 
Hi, this is Pastor Joe, and I would love to wish you and your family a very blessed Christmas. And also, I'd like to take this time to invite you, the K-Wave audience, to our fifth annual Christmas drama play, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's a free event, and we would love if you can come and join us. We have five performances beginning on Monday, December 12th, Tuesday the 13th, Thursday the 15th, Friday the 16th, and for our last performance, it'll be held on Sunday the 18th. They all begin at 7 p.m. We look forward to seeing you here. God bless you and have a Merry Christmas. You have been listening to Glory to Glory with Pastor Joe Pettick, an outreach of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. If you would like to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call now at 714-788-8221. That's 714-788-8221. We'd like to extend an invitation to visit us here at Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Our address is 16450 Pacific Coast Highway in Huntington Beach, California, 92649. We're located in Peter's Landing Marina in Huntington Harbor. Our Sunday service times are 10 a.m. and 12 o'clock noon. Our Tuesday evening Bible study begins at 7 p.m. Now, may we continue to go to His throne of mercy as He changes us from glory to glory.